by the pony that I've now put behind me so it doesn't freak me out for the rest of the talk. I'm just going to face it, face it the other way as well. <laughs> Can inspire the worship band later. <laughs> Good morning, everybody. This morning, I thought it might be one of those mornings where I ruined somebody's favourite Bible verse. And then all the worship's kind of backed me up, so I'm feeling okay. Who has, for their favourite Bible verse, Romans 8, 28? We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. I'm going to tell you a story now that's going to require your imaginations. You're going to have to imagine that I was young. This is tough, I know. <laughs> We're aiming at 18. And I've just become a Christian with the expectation that life's going to be brilliant. But it's the 80s and Barnsley, so I can't find a job. So every time I meet with my friends or in house group, and somebody says, how did it go this week? And I go, I didn't get that job. I didn't get that interview. Somebody somewhere would say to me, all things work together for good for those who love the Lord. And obviously, because I was new and excited, I go, fantastic. No, I didn't. I went, oh, fantastic. What does that say? It was a bit stroppy. It left me with a couple of conclusions. Instead of feeling encouraged, I was like real kind of, Because then I was thinking, really? All things work together for good and I didn't get that job, Really? Who've been called according to his purpose? What's my purpose? Unemployment? And I got a bit like down about it. But you see, the problem wasn't the Bible verse. The problem was me. The problem was me not knowing enough to know that somebody had cherry-picked this one verse out of one of the most fantastic chapters in the Bible. It's like it's the letter of Paul that really speaks to me. But when I was 18 and unemployed, I did not like that verse. You see, there's a problem. We cherry-pick things out of the Bible. We go, oh, I like that one. Colin talked about this last week. Oh, I like that verse. I'll have it. Oh, I don't like that verse. Oh, no. But I'll have that one. But it doesn't work, because unless you read the thing as a whole, you don't actually get the impact that it can have on your life. You actually rob yourself by cherry-picking the nice verses. If you Google, all things work together for good, I did this, but my life got crazy. I didn't have time to put the images up. What you'll find is the verse superimposed on pictures of fields of sunflowers, beautiful sunsets, cottages with roses growing up the side. All things work together for good for those that love God. Somewhere you'll find a small golden-haired smiley child holding the cutest puppy in the world, not that pony. Like something with eyes that make you want to love it, not worry about it. <laughs> you get the idea. But you see, in my life, I've often felt that the words, we know that all things work together for good, for those who love the Lord, should be superimposed on pictures of me in scenes of chaos. Trying to serve four people in the cafe and dropping a jug of coffee, so I'm wading through coffee. Trying to serve four people. All things work together for good, for those who love the Lord. That's where it belongs in my life. When my life feels like a minefield and I don't know where I can take a safe step, that's where the verses apply. I had a bad day on Thursday. On Wednesday, I posted one of these 
like coronavirus sort of things. I said, in Yorkshire, we've escalated this now to put kettle on. <laughs> so I thought, you know, I'll be clever, I'll be northern. Put kettle on. Turned up at work, I couldn't even get in the building and I couldn't put the kettle on because all the power was out. <sighs> or if we're going to be serious, when I became a Christian, I thought, fantastic. When I got married, I thought, fantastic, we're going to have kids and they're going to follow the Lord. And I've got two beautiful kids who aren't in church. All things work together for good. For those who know the Lord, we've been called according to his purpose. My God is still at work in their lives. And even though the picture of how my life looks now today isn't the one I imagined in 1983, all things work together for good for those who love the Lord, who've been called according to his purpose. See, I'm being a bit bold this morning. I'm suggesting that when we put this lovely little verse into context, put it into the whole chapter, it's so much more than a verse that soothes an upset 19-year-old because she couldn't get an interview. It's so much more. See, the letter to the Romans was written by the Apostle Paul sometime around AD 50, so in the very, very early days of the church. Now, Paul had gone on a journey as Saul, before he changed his name. He'd gone on a journey to persecute the church. And on that journey, he met Jesus. And in that moment of seeing Jesus, the one he was persecuting, the one whose followers he was trying to wipe out, his life completely changed. He was a Jew and a Roman citizen. He was well-educated and enjoying a fairly privileged life. And then his life changed because he met Jesus his path and his purpose were totally transformed. The journey that began with the name of persecuting a church built a church. Because in God, we know that all things work together for good for those who love the Lord. It's amazing, isn't it, really? So... This chapter in Romans that I want to talk about this morning, Paul writes about some absolutely massive concepts and I cannot do it even a little bit of justice in the time I've got. I can only pick out some thoughts from the passage. So actually what I'd encourage you all to do is, is to read the whole chapter. Read it and understand where those verses that we love so much fit in the whole of this chapter. See the chapter begins with the verses. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. That's a great way to start any chapter, isn't it? There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. See, Paul sets out the difference between living by a law, which can only bring condemnation because actually none of us can ever live up to God's law. We aren't that perfect. We cannot do it, cannot be done. Even I get it wrong. No, it's true, it's true, I do. See, none of us can do it. So living by law, we can never find freedom. But actually when we live by the Spirit, the Spirit brings freedom from sin and death. Because sin and death are the consequences of breaking God's law. So actually, right at the very start of this chapter, 
God's saying there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And that's because the stuff we can't do because we're not perfect, we can't satisfy the requirements of the law. We can't be perfect enough to have a relationship with God. God has dealt with in Jesus. Jesus, when he gave his life for us on the cross, meant that now we can live by the Spirit, not the law. So the law that was always going to make us fall short, always going to make us fail, is gone. It's abolished. Because we're brought into freedom. That's incredible, isn't it? Paul reminds us that the power of the Holy Spirit is now living in us. But therefore, we need to think about how we live. One of the greatest tensions we face in life and in our faith is, is the tension between thinking, well, I'm free now, I can do anything I want because I'm saved and God's covered it. But I want to do good. I want to please my father. I want to make him happy. The tension between that and me being human and thinking, well, I want to do that, but this pleasure here is quite immediate. So I'm going to just have this immediate pleasure and I'll think about the good later. Hands up, anybody who does that. There's a lot of you out there are very, very good people. You see, we have a desire to do good, but a tendency to be bad. But because of Jesus, there's now no condemnation. But that doesn't mean we should crack on and live as if sin doesn't matter. Because the conundrum is that no matter how well we live, we can never earn salvation anyway. Even the best human will fall short. But we're called to live well. Living well pleases God. We're called to live well, but we tend to do not so well. That's why we need Jesus. Romans 8, 12 says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if, the spirit, but if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you'll live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by, we, by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we're God's children. Now, if we're children, then we're heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. There's a lot in that, and I can't even attempt it. But one of the wonderful things about the verses we've just heard is that they're a family thing. Did you notice in that? Paul says brothers and sisters. He talks to us like family. He dresses as brothers and sisters. If we're children, we are heirs. We, we, brothers and sisters, we're in it together. This salvation that God has given us, this there's now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, isn't a solitary thing. It's not a salvation just for me so that I can stumble to the, rest of, to the end of my life and get into heaven. It's a salvation that says, we're children of God, we're brothers and sisters, we're together, we're built together. That's amazing. That's so much more than just have snatched you from the flames and you'll be all right eternally because of Jesus. That's, I've snatched you from the flames and I've put you with all these other people who are still dusting themselves off and together you are the children of God. Together. Isn't that amazing? You see, in those verses I read out, the only singular bits, the only you verses, were uh, the choices to live according to either the sinful nature or the spirit. It says, 
but you put to death a sinful nature. You live in this way. But that's our personal choices to come to God and be saved. But then we put into a, a we. And do you know why we put into a we? It's really simple. Because together, we can encourage each other and build each other up. We can remind each other. We can speak faith to each other. On a bad day, I can say to Neil, no, no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And he can say it back to me. Because we're together. Our inheritance brings unity. And this is a, this is a really interesting thing. In the world, inheritance often brings trouble. I recently met up with someone, and I'm going to anonymize this story to the very best of my ability. He told me a story. I asked how, how their brothers were, how the, a girl and two brothers. I said, oh, how are your brothers? And she said, well, we're not talking to each other. I went, really? Seriously? She went, yeah. I said, what happened? She said, well, my mum died. She left us the house, the three-way split. And two years later, we're still trying to spit it and arguing about it. My brothers won't talk to each other. That's what an inheritance can do in the world. But it's not what the inheritance we receive does. Because we all have the same inheritance. It makes us unified. And we don't have to wait for it until, until somebody croaks. The inheritance we have is now living, active, available to us. Now, tomorrow, the day after, in 10 years. And we don't have to fight about it because it belongs to all of us. We're all equal before Christ. So the inheritance we have is an inheritance that can't spoil or fade and doesn't cause division. Because the inheritance we have brings unity. Paul goes on, and in verse 18, he says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. This is cool. This is cool. The creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. What's happening? When's it going to happen? There's an eagerness about what we are and who we're going to become and how that pans out. You see, what Jesus achieved through the cross, paying the price for our sins, making salvation possible, brings us into a right relationship with God. And that is so awesome that all of creation is waiting to see how that works out in the end. It's got a glimpse. In our salvation, we've got a glimpse. But we don't know quite fully yet. Do you know something? The people we all have contact with, our family, our friends, the people we work with, my customers, people who know Jesus, people who don't, they're all eagerly waiting to see what we're going to do if they know we're Christians. But, you know, we make a mistake here because we think they're checking to make sure we're not doing stuff, make sure we're not doing the stuff we shouldn't do. I actually don't think it works that way. I've um, talked to a few of my colleagues in the past about this and sort of said, oh, yeah, well, I got that wrong. Yeah, but you do this. They're not looking to see 
that we're not doing stuff, they'll look and see what we are doing. People don't look to see what's not happening, they look to see what's happening. When people look at us as representations of Jesus, they'll look and see what we're doing. They're looking to see what, what's, what we're doing, what we're doing. They want to be positively influenced by the good things we do. So if you want to actually impact the people around you, be kind. Love without judgment or prejudice. Be the one who picks somebody up when they've fallen down. Doesn't just go, huh. I'll take a video and send it into you being framed. That's actually what the world's looking to see. They're looking to see if we live out those things that Jesus did. If we will connect with them. If we will love them. If we will stick a hand out somebody who's fallen. And trust that God will give us the strength, because it's his strength, to pull somebody back on their feet. Never us, always him. Never us, always him. Romans 8, 24 and 25. For in this hope we were saved. But, that, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. For who hopes what they already have, for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. I find this really interesting. You see, hope isn't passive. Hope's not just sat on the shelf waiting for something to turn up being right. We're hoping for what we don't see. We're looking forward. You see, if I've got a mate who's got a Ferrari, and I haven't, because I haven't got any mates who are that minted, to be honest with you. If I've got a mate who's got a Ferrari, and I look at that Ferrari and think, oh, I'd really like one of them. I hope I'll get one of those one day. I can look at it with big, maybe that's why it's here, with big, big, pony, intense eyes. It doesn't matter how much I stare at that Ferrari. The Ferrari's not going to be mine. That's not hope. It's wishful thinking and a bit freaky. I'm really sorry to everybody that I did that. Please sleep well tonight. Don't have nightmares. You see, hoping that if I'm a good girl, I'll get a Ferrari is not hope. That's wishful thinking. Hoping God, the kind of hope that arrives in our lives when we find faith, that hope is not in the things we can see. It's in the future things, in the things promised to us in God's word. So if it's not in the things we can see, our hope isn't that we get a bigger house because we can see one of those. Our hope isn't that we get the perfect car because we can see one of those. Our hope isn't that we get that perfect job with a brilliant expense account because we can see people who've got those and and no, thank you. Our hope is in the eternal. Our hope is in the salvation that we have. Our hope comes because of the gift of grace. Yeah. Not because of anything we can long for. Or, or lust after or just desire. It's not that. Our hope is in the Lord. See, and it's at this point in the chapter that the all things work together verse comes in. So, so, so far in this chapter, we've been told some amazing things. We've been told that there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. So far, this chapter has brought to us the information that we're heirs with Christ. It's told us that we carry an obligation to live a life filled with the Holy Spirit. And it's told us that all creation eagerly awaits for God to do what he will with his people. He's waiting for that reveal 
when we are who God made us to be. And it's so far, Paul's told us that hope develops patience. Now that patience is patience in the Lord. It's not patience so I don't, I can get through homes under the hammer where they tell me the same thing every three minutes just in case I'm, I can't retain that information. It's not that kind of patience. It's patience to wait and let the Lord work in us. But also that's an active waiting. It's not a waiting, well, well I'll just have a snooze and then like, I'll get to glory and we'll be on again. It's not that, but it's a patience to wait for the Lord to reveal himself. Romans 8, 28. Not cherry pick this time. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. For, the God, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Our purpose is to be like Jesus. It's to be like Jesus, the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. It's to be like him. That's our purpose. And here's the scary bit. We can be because it's God who calls us, God who justifies us, and it's God who transforms us, not us. It's him. But we have an obligation to work with him, to walk with him, to spend time in prayer, to spend time in the word of God. And that's how that verse fits. When we, when we are walking with him, all things work together for good for those who love the Lord. Because it's his purpose, not ours, that drives our life. It's not me scrabbling to get a start in a job. It's a, hang on a minute, hang on a minute. I belong to Christ. There's no condemnation. He's placed me in a family of brothers and sisters. He's given me the right to call him father. Hang on a minute. That's a bit more important, isn't it? That's why they're brilliant verses. So after those verses, the all things work together for good verses, there's a bit of a switch in the chapter and the emphasis then becomes our security in God's hand. Favourite cherry pick verse in the Bible for me is this one, Romans 8, 31. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Do you know what that is? That's your basic, best legal defence ever. Yeah, I might be guilty, but God says that he's paid the price of that guilt. It's been paid in full. Yep, yeah, yeah, I'm rubbish, but I'm justified through Jesus' sacrifice. Yes, I know I've done a lot of things to upset you, but I'm forgiven because of Jesus. And we're made right, made right with God. If God is for us, who can be against us? That's why that's true, because it's God's victory, not ours. Actually, effectively, this is the war cry of all school children everywhere. My dad is bigger than your dad or any of your circumstances. That's effectively what this is. Paul's saying, my dad is bigger than your dad looking outside of the church. The lovely thing is in the church, that's not a competition. We're all right. 
<laughs> Isn't that lovely? That's not a competition. My dad's bigger than your dad. It's not a competition here. It's an affirmation that we're all one. It's a truth that unites us. You see, God's truth unites. God's truth never separates his people. It unites them. God's truth unites. He wants us to be united. Our father is bigger than all the difficulties that Paul the Apostle then goes on to list in the last verses of Romans chapter 8. And these are things that I don't want to face. Romans chapter 8 from that point on goes on to tell us that God is bigger than trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger or sword. They're not on my to-do list for the rest of today, but God's bigger than all of them. And for some of our brothers and sisters around the world, that's their reality now. And God is bigger than all of that. Paul isn't promising that we'll never face these things, these big bad boys. But he's promising that they can't separate us from the love of God. Here's an inconvenient thing. The bit that I got wrong when I was like 18 and didn't know why God wouldn't give me a job. Salvation doesn't work like a get out of jail free for the rest of your life. At the first sign of hardship, we can't pull the membership card out of our pocket and go, "Um, passing on that, I belong to Jesus. Price already been paid. Yes, it has. But sadly, we still have to walk through the experiences in front of us. But we walk through them knowing that our salvation is a guarantee that whatever hardships we face, we will not face them alone. Being a Christian means that Jesus will be right with us, whatever we face. You see, earlier we read that Jesus is the firstborn among many brothers. We're saved into a body of believers. We're called to stand together, as well as we'll never face anything alone because Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit will be right there with us in the trouble. Actually, he gives us this. He gives us a family. He gives us our brothers and sisters to walk through the trouble with us. Romans 8.38 says, Knowing all these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. Then he gives us another lovely list of things that can't separate us from God's love. All of these I'd sooner not put to the test as well. Paul assures us that neither death nor life, angels nor demons, present nor future, any powers, height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation can separate us from the love of God. One of the contrasts that really struck me here is present and future. Because it seems to me that just like hope isn't found in what we can see, in what can be seen, it's also not, not found in our present circumstances or our past. Hope doesn't look backwards. Hope's a future thing. So the hope we have isn't in what lies behind us. It isn't really in what we're studying now. It's in the promise that we have that the eternal God has us in his hands and no one can separate us from that. Hope looks forward, not backwards. I'm going to tell you a short story about somebody else that I'm going to anonymize. I've got some lovely ladies who come in the cafe and they tell lovely, uplifting, beautiful stories all the time, not. (laughs) 
And in the last four months, I've heard the same story, which grew quite, started quite small when I heard it. I've, grow, I've heard it grow into something that's delivered with such venom and conviction now that this woman has utterly convinced herself that this is true. Because what she's done is she's taken an event in her life where she felt that people weren't welcoming her with open arms and she found that she was uncomfortable and chose not to be there. And now when she tells it, they were like, I'm going to try not to shout into the mic because that would be a bad thing. They were like, oh, can't sit with me. what are you doing? And she's like literally belting it out and arms are going and everything. Because in her head, this one point where somebody just didn't go, oh, come here, love, aren't you lovely? has turned into, you can't come here, you, you get out, what are you doing here? And we can live like that as people. We can take one thing in our past and we can hold it and we can tell it. We can get a bit of a response with it and we can build on it and we can make it like our defining thing. I don't want to be defined by the fact that nobody wanted me to sit next to him to play bingo. I want to, to, be, defi- I want to be defined by my future, not my past. You see, we've got an obligation. An obligation to live according to the Spirit. And that's forward-looking. That's positive. That's letting go of your hurts. That's moving forward. That's what our hope is fixed on Jesus. Can I get the band back, please? You see, whatever the outcome is in the situations we face... God does work our circumstances for his good because he is good. They might not be the good that we'd imagined, but it's good because he is good and his desire for us is better than our own plan. Who knows that? God's plan for me is better than my plan. My plan would have been very silly. It really would. You see, my 19-year-old self would have been more encouraged when somebody kept quoting to me, all things work together for good, for those that love the Lord, if I'd remembered that getting a job was less important than the fact that God had called me. He justified me. He had a plan and a purpose for me. That nothing in all creation, which is everything and anything, if you, if you can't grasp that, that's like all of it. None of it can separate me from the love of God. That makes job hunting trauma seem a little bit small. So whatever it is you're facing at the moment, there's a way to make it seem a little bit less frightening. Speak faith to yourself. All things work together for good for those who love the Lord. I'm confident neither death nor life nor anything else in all creation can separate me from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. Speak faith to yourself. And when you can't, there's a backup plan because God put us in a family. Go and nudge one of your mates and say, I can't, I can't speak faith over myself. Speak faith to me. Speak faith to me. Let's speak faith to each other this week. So I'm going to hand back over to the band. I'm just going to pray that, that this week, somehow we grasp how high and deep and great is the love of God in our lives.
Lord, we want to thank you that it's, it's you and not us. All you. Salvation's all you, not us. You just ask us to, to let you in. So, Lord, we just pray that this week, those of us that know you will know that we're resting in the palm of your hand and we can't be taken from it. And, Lord, if there's anybody here that doesn't know you yet, Lord, I pray that you just stir them up. Let them seek after the truths we've been speaking about this morning. Let them seek you. Lord, we're in awe of all that you've done for us. Lord, we thank you. Amen.